diagnosed with endocarditis, which is a heart infection. And basically my mitral valve on my um, heart was flapping, basically hanging off. And there was vegetation on that valve where there was this, this full of infection. And this vegetation kind of went up through my bloodstream into my brain and caused a stroke. I was admitted immediately and was told I would need to have IV antibiotics and they would hopefully get the infection down somewhat and then after that they would be able to give me an open heart surgery to um, fix the mitral valve and hopefully therefore I would get better and everything would go back to normal somewhat but that didn't happen. By the end of the day I had no speech at all, no swallow, no movement or feeling in the left hand side of my body and I was in a much more serious way by, by this point and then they had to do the emergency heart surgery to prevent another stroke happening and so kind of my stroke was kind of put to one side for a short while to put you know to save my life. I did heart therapies and stuff but I also did speech therapy, I did physiotherapy, I had no speech, no swallow so a lot of my time was spent trying to regain that and learning to eat and do the, the basics of looking after myself walking, dressing, personal care, all those kinds of things. Hello, it's Mark Goodyear and welcome to Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Endocarditis is caused by bacteria in the bloodstream multiplying and spreading across the inner lining of the heart. Small clumps of bacteria can develop at the site of the infection and there's a risk of these clumps acting in a similar way to blood clots, travelling away from the heart and blocking blood supply to the organs. In this episode we hear from Joe Vincent from Birmingham who suffered a stroke at the age of 26. I was training to be a teacher and I was doing that while at work so I was working in the day and training, doing the theory in in the evenings and things. I'd been quite poorly with lots of gynae problems, so I had lots of ongoing problem health problems, but I was doing really well, living independently, living with a partner, training to be a teacher of people with uh, learning difficulties and disabilities. I worked at a local college, so I had, I've got a degree in education, and I also had a really full life, a social life with friends and family nearby liked to travel and such like, but I was battling with constant illness from an ongoing gynae thing. So it took me quite a re- long time to realise how poorly I was because it was all put down to that other health issues sort of things before my strokes. I woke up in the morning to a phone call. I answered the phone and I couldn't speak properly. And at the time I had a piercing in my lip and it felt like the piercing was really heavy in my mouth. I was making sounds, but I was kind of talking gobbledygook. And the person at the end of the phone kind of didn't realise I was in trouble and they put the phone down. I then got up and tried to find out what was going on with me and get my piercing out of my mouth and see if that was a problem. Soon realised I couldn't get it out of my mouth, so I kind of felt quite worried about that. And spoke a little bit to myself in the mirror, realised I wasn't speaking very clearly or saying words properly. So then I text a friend, I need help. And they came and, and got me and we walked into a where we were seen by um, the triage people. And basically, 
I had a conversation with them kind of through my friend explaining this is not normal for me and my speech was difficult at that time but I was making sound and everything else looked completely normal and they actually thought I was really stressed and because of the teacher training and things in life at the moment at that time and being quite young and you know burning candles at both ends and sorts of thing and they recommended I went home and rested because they thought it was stress and if I was admitted that stress would be increased and such like so I went home another friend was called who came and really was convinced straight away that I'd had a stroke and insisted on taking me to my parents house which was about an hour away from where I was living in Birmingham and on the drive to her my my parents house my friend really knew something bad had happened because I couldn't direct her to my parents and they'd lived there for many many years and I'd been there many many times and I got to my parents and they took me to their local hospital and there I was diagnosed with endocarditis which is a heart infection and basically my mitral valve on my um, heart was flapping basically hanging off and there was vegetation on that valve where there was this, this full of infection and this vegetation kind of went up through my bloodstream into my brain and caused a stroke they were able to diagnose that as soon as they realized I had this infection they were then able to realize oh gosh the rest of the symptoms will be a stroke it's just not your normal brain bleed or brain clot stroke i was admitted immediately and was told i would need to have iv antibiotics and they would hopefully get an infection down somewhat and then after that they would be able to give me an open heart surgery to um, fix the mitral valve and hopefully therefore I would get better and everything would go back to normal to somewhat but that didn't happen simply because I was there for two weeks in hospital as an inpatient having these IV antibiotics and through that time my speech came back I was much more myself and I kind of started to recover in terms of strokey things and then I had an, I woke up one morning and I was dribbling and I knew I was having my second stroke. And that one took a couple of hours while I was in hospital. And from just dribbling and not being able to maintain my saliva, by the end of the day, I had no speech at all, no swallow, no movement or feeling in the left hand side of my body. And I was in a much more serious way. By, by this point and then they had to do the emergency heart surgery to prevent another stroke happening and so kind of my stroke was kind of put to one side for a short while to put you know to save my life and then after that after my uh, open heart surgery I was able to realize how much defect I had at that point from my stroke and kind of start recovery then. Joe was in hospital for three months. I did heart therapies and stuff but I also did speech therapy I did physiotherapy I had no speech no swallow so a lot of my time was spent trying to regain that and learning to eat and do the the basics of looking after myself walking dressing personal care all those kinds of things I had a great family and they were allowed to visit much more than you are nowadays and also because even though I was young my parents did come and help me a lot and so they were able to help me do a lot of therapy on the ward that I couldn't have done if I had waited for the medic sort of thing and then I wasn't able to look after myself in any way shape or form so I went back and lived with my parents and I basically spent the next year in their house just daily practicing everything um, that I'd lost really so I'd work on my speech for a, a while, I'd work on physio for a while, I'd work on my walking for a while, I'd do 
independent things like trying to cook and make a cup of tea and then I would sleep a lot I slept a hell of a lot in between so I paced out my recover, you know my rehab and then I'd sleep and then I'd wake up do a next bit and so on and so forth and that went on for about a year luckily I had parents that were really determined that I was going to get better that I could get better even though I was being told it's very unlikely my speech would fully come back I was told I definitely wouldn't be a teacher again we kind of just thought, oh, well, we'll see what we can do. We'll, we'll try our hardest. So I kind of had a whole team behind me at, at home. And then after about a year, my speech was getting really good. I went through a strange phase of having a bit of an, um, a foreign accent, but then my speech came back quite a lot. So then I was able to then think about how I'm going to get back to living on my own and living independently and also thinking about how I'm going to work because I was always determined I was going to get back to work even though I was told I probably shouldn't. So the kind of second year was a lot spent on working step by step to get back to work and back to living on my own. I had really good employers at the time and they would let me real take time and space out coming back to work. So I started off just going for a coffee and then I would then was able to do a bit of admin and then slowly slowly build it up until I was able to do some things in the classroom so the first two years if you can imagine was just a really slow but very methodical very planned out very organized and very disciplined approach to getting better on all fronts physically mentally my sister was a nurse at the time and I think I was very lucky that I had family members that kind of knew how to approach my recovery because they they helped me set up set this all these routines all up and I don't think I would have done so well without that kind of discipline and I didn't know I needed that discipline they kind of knew for me. Coming up on Stroke Stories, Joe talks about how her stroke has impacted her teaching. Because I work with people with learning difficulties and disabilities, actually I can really relate to a lot of my students in ways some of my colleagues can't. I understand about finding different ways around things, finding different ways to do things, realising that just because you can do it today doesn't mean you can do it every day. And so I feel like I'm a much better teacher. And embracing your post-stroke life. Everyone always wants to explain life. Oh, you know, you're, you're the same as everyone else. You're the same as... Well, I'm not, actually. And that's okay. It doesn't mean I'm less, but I'm not the same as my, my peers. And I certainly wasn't in my 20s and my early 30s. I was no, nothing at all the same. So I, I think it's okay to acknowledge that your friends and family who've had a stroke, they're not the same as someone that hasn't had a stroke. It doesn't mean you're saying they're less. Let's hear how Joe deals with her central post-stroke pain. My brain interprets touch and certain sensations as pain. So I can't actually feel normal sensation in my left side. So if I put my hand in my pocket, for example, to pull something out, I can't tell the difference between a tissue and a, and a mobile phone. I've got no sense of feeling, proper feeling. But sometimes things are misinterpreted as pain. So that can be burning tingling stabbing itching all sorts of things and it took a really long time for that to get diagnosed and get the right medication so that's kind of the biggest problem I have is trying to manage that pain because it's quite debilitating when one side of your body is determined to just send pain signals even though there's absolutely nothing wrong with the left side of my body 
it quite often feels really painful. There's lots of spasticity in that side as well. And I still have a real amount of stroke fatigue. And if I don't pace myself and manage my life and my calendar well, I can just be floored for a days where I just have to, there's nothing I can do other than just go to bed because it will trigger pain. My speech will go slurry. So pain and fatigue are the biggest problems for me, really. It took at least a decade to get good at pacing. And I think because I was young and I was determined to be independent and determined to get back to work and determined to go out and have a laugh at the same time. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I think also that probably went on a bit longer than it needed to because I was I wasn't very accepting. I had to pace my life. I wasn't very accepting that I I had to be slow and do things differently. I just trudged through. Whereas nowadays I've learned actually if I pace myself and I do things sensibly and and rest in between big things, actually the pain is less and the fatigue is less. So it's very much it, the legacy is very much having to live a very balanced life. I have to walk the tightrope of being very healthy. And if I fall off, whereas someone might get a cold or feel a bit rough for a few days, it couldn't take me like 10 days to get myself back to my normal because my normal has got no reserve anyway. So it just, I have to be really careful. And, and there's, because obviously the heart and everything else, I've had other complications and bits and bobs. But in terms of stroke, I would say it's, it's pain and fatigue that's my biggest problems now. Jo's stroke has also affected her career. I can't work full time. I used to work one day on one day off. And so I worked three days and then it got to the point that I, I couldn't do that anymore. And so I work two days a week and I work one day on, have a rest day and then work another day. The, the downfall is obviously I didn't have the career I wanted. I wanted to um, be more than a teacher. I wanted to move up the ranks and hope to be a full time teacher. I haven't been able to do that. However, so that's a negative. So obviously that has an impact on finances and all those sorts of, sorts of things, doesn't it? But in terms of my the good side of it, because I work with people with learning difficulties and disabilities, actually I can really relate to a lot of my students in ways some of my colleagues can't. I understand about finding different ways around things, finding different ways to do things, realising that just because you can do it today doesn't mean you can do it every day. And so I feel like I'm a much better teacher because of my stroke, actually. Um, I also wasn't an art teacher originally. I was just a special needs teacher and I would teach life skills and independent skills and things like that. But art became part of my recovery. It was my kind of go to sanctuary place so I could rest and recover and feel better about myself it was something I could do on my own didn't need any help and so over the years I've done more and more art and as my art developed I started doing a bit more craft in my lessons and then eventually I've just I'm now I'm an art teacher with people with learning difficulties because I feel that art's really really therapeutic it's really beneficial for your mental health and your well-being in general and it's also a really great way to express yourself in ways maybe sometimes not everyone's got great speech or the confidence um, to speak out or advocate for themselves and art's a great way a way of expressing yourself and so because I use it for all those reasons it's my place to go when I'm angry sad happy challenged whatever I can kind of share that with my students and make them realize you know we can all be differently abled but most people can do something artistic and get something good out of it even if you don't like always like the work you make, the, you can always enjoy the process sort of thing. 
So yeah, that's that's what I do now. To be honest, it's only in the last couple of years I've become what I classify as a professional artist. Before I did it very much for recovery and well-being and rehab. Whereas now I'm an abstract painter. I sell my my artwork. I exhibit my artwork, and I really enjoy that part of my my career sort of thing. And I think it's kind of come out of being born from also, I can do that at home. I can do it amongst the tiredness. I can pace it and I can rest. It's another way of having an identity and a career path that's kind of fits in with my stroke. When I hit my year 10, I did some charity stuff for a life after stroke centre in Bromsgrove. And so I did some charity fundraising for them to celebrate my year 10 of a, as a stroke survivor so I have been on and off in touch with them in the very early days I did get in touch with dis- different strokes and did go to a few support meetings about being a young stroke survivor but I just couldn't fit everything in that I was trying to achieve and it just wasn't room for that in my life what I have been doing in recent years as a stroke survivor is I actually do um, something called Bike by experience and I go and guest speak and talk to trainee medics and health professionals in universities and in the NHS to kind of let them have a bit more insight into the lived experience of stroke survivor. And because I actually on the outside look very normal for use of better word, you wouldn't guess that I've had a stroke by looking at me. When you meet me, you probably wouldn't guess either. So therefore, you you can't recognise my challenges and stuff. So it's been a really useful and inspiring thing to do in, in recent years to be able to share my stories with, with professionals that I know that will go on and meet lots of other stroke survivors and, and make them aware that uh, about being young and, and have the possibility of stroke. And it doesn't always present in exactly the same way as it does in an older person. I've been doing quite a bit of that and I found that really re- rewarding. And from the feedback I get, the health professionals as well, felt I find it really eye-opening to hear my stories and, and learn from, from the patient's point of view, not just from the textbook's point of view. Joe believes stroke survivors need to pace themselves during recovery. To fellow stroke survivors, I would definitely say... Number one, I was told repeatedly that you wouldn't, you, what you didn't gain after two years, if you hadn't gained it back after two years, you wouldn't get it back. For me, I still can, I'm still finding I can do something now that I couldn't do five years ago. So the constant keep going, keep trying. And just because you couldn't do it two years ago, don't just not try. For example, I couldn't carry two cups five years ago I can carry two cups now so I would just always be just keep trying but pace yourself the the two things have to go hand in hand constantly pace and accept pacing early on in your journey because as long as you read between everything you can have a, a full full life and enjoyable life but if you try and do too much that makes life very difficult I had great family and friends experiences but I think sometimes my friends and family desperately want me to be non-brain injured and I am brain injured and I'm not ashamed of my brain injury and some of the things I do are because of my brain injury and I would like to be able to say yeah that's that happens because of my brain injury not because I'm lacking in some other way and it's not an insult if I do something wrong 
because of my brain injury. Everyone always wants to explain life. Or, oh, you know, you're, you're the same as everyone else. You're the same as, oh, well, I'm not actually. And that's okay. It doesn't mean I'm less, but I'm not the same as my, my peers. And I certainly wasn't in my 20s and my early 30s. I was no, nothing at all the same. So I, I think it's okay to acknowledge that your friends and family who've had a stroke they're not the same as someone that hasn't had a stroke. It doesn't mean you're saying they're less. After almost two decades working hard at stroke recovery, Jo is enjoying her post-stroke life as a teacher and artist. You can find some of her work via her Instagram, joe.vincent.art. Thank you for supporting us and listening to Stroke Stories, and please do recommend to your friends to help us spread the word. And similarly, rating and commenting on the episodes you hear really does help us too. And if you know of or you are a stroke survivor and you've got a story you can share, please do contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening.